2: J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
0: In reality television, the people are represented by two separate but equally obsessed attorneys. This is their podcast.
1: Hi, I'm Ceci. And I'm Angela. And this is the Bravo Docket. All right, welcome back to the Bravo Docket. So now that we have all survived a month of Beverly Hills reunions, we thought it would be good To kind of go back to the Girardi cases and explain what has happened since June, which was the last time that we had released a Girardi update, if you haven't listened to the podcast before or you need a refresher, we have done a total of four episodes about this case already. Our first was episode four, where we talked about the basics of what it was alleged that Tom did in the Edelson case. We explained how settlement funds in contingency cases work and how what Tom was accused of doing is a basic lawyer no-no. It's lawyering 101. You don't steal client settlement funds. Our second episode was episode nine, where we went over Big Frank's disbarment over doing essentially the same thing, but on a lesser scale. We then discussed one of the several LA Times articles, which those reporters are amazing, where they talked about Tom's connections and how his connections really got him by. Our third and fourth episodes about Girardi were episodes 12 and 13, and that's where we really dove deep into the timeline of how everything came to be. We discussed the various cases involved, discussed the bankruptcies, some concepts like privilege, divorce, how divorce could benefit Erica. We just went all the way through. But our last episode was released in June, so now we're picking up where we left off and kind of filling in the blanks. This is going to be multi-part because we both wanted to talk about the reunions, which we got four amazing episodes. (laughs) Well, not amazing. uh, Four episodes to talk about and to kind of see what Erica was saying and kind of the narrative she was putting out there. So we really want to talk about that and that'll probably have to be saved for another episode. And then we also got I would say like hundreds of questions on our Instagram. We, we opened the floor for questions. We got tons. So that might also have to be an episode where we'll go through. And a lot of those questions were about what we think is going to happen and how certain things will affect Erica's future. So that's more forward facing right now. We're going to kind of look backwards and explain where we're at now.
0: Um, anything to add? Just, I'm sorry to everyone about my voice. (laughs) We have promised everybody this episode. I am obviously a bit sick. I've done everything I can. I've had my COVID shot. I have done all of the throat stuff. I've been drinking hot tea. So I apologize for my voice and I promise it will go back to normal soon.
1: Yeah. And I will try to talk, hopefully not the whole episode, but I will try to talk. Let's dive into it. I think a, a brief refresher would be beneficial as to, like, what the heck is going on in the Girardi lawsuits. But if you want, like, a really in-depth in, dip, in, in depth review of what has happened, we really encourage you to listen to those other episodes I just mentioned, because that's where we really go into it. So there was a Ree Gomez case. Um, he was the victim of a blast. He was the kind of star of the Hulu documentary. He sued Tom for settlement funds that he didn't get, and he got a judgment allowing him to receive his funds from Tom. So he is now one of the creditors in the bankruptcy. There's also the Lion Air case brought by Edelson, and Edelson is one of the attorneys that was splitting fees to represent the plane crash victims and orphans. And Edelson learns that Tom didn't pay out the $1 million settlement fees, and kind of is the one that raises a flag to the judge and gets things going. So that's Line Air case. And then Edelson himself filed a lawsuit against Tom and Erica saying that they had withheld funds as well. Um, And so that one's in Chicago. That's another case. And all of these cases were put on pause because Tom was put into bankruptcy and he was put in his personal capacity and he was put into bankruptcy. Um, His law firm was also put into bankruptcy. Erica is not in bankruptcy, but she is involved in these things because she was his wife throughout these years. Um, And as we'll get to There is some compelling evidence that has been alleged or put on the record that she had knowledge of receiving funds from Tom's law firm. There are no criminal charges, though it was referred to prosecutors by the judge in the Lion Air case, like we mentioned in prior episodes. And yeah, there's there's just been so much that has happened since our last episodes. Really, really awesome filings, compelling filings, just worthy of full episodes in and of themselves. But we're going to try and get through as much as we can in this one. Anything to add
0: on the background? No, you are doing an amazing job summarizing everything. (laughs) Well, I am basically handicapped. And let me just say, when you're an attorney and your line of defense is speaking, it sucks. My husband... (laughs) Like, he has been loving it because he'll say something. And I'm like, I can't argue with you right now. It sucks. I
1: hate it. (laughs) Aw. It'll come back. We'll we'll all be thinking about your voice. Okay, so I have organized how we're going to talk about this based on each of the cases. So as we've mentioned before, all the cases are on pause right now except the two bankruptcies. Um, where they're trying to get creditors their money back. There's like over $100 million in claims against Tom and Tom's law firm. So that is what is going on right now. But the Lion Air case is actually going forward as well, not necessarily against Tom. They did find Tom in contempt. And now they're trying to find Tom's two partners that worked at his firm previously in contempt as well. Tom was found in contempt in December 2020, which was a while ago. And they were like, yo, 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 no, bring in the other partners as well, also in December 2020. And they've just kept pushing off the hearing. And the hearing for that is going to be on December 8th and December 9th, so next month. So this has been like a full year since Tom was found in contempt that they're now going to try and find his two partners in contempt. But um, before the hearing, uh, like shortly after Tom was found in contempt, the two partners themselves filed motions stating their case.
0: Did we go over this already? I think you talked about it briefly. We've mentioned it briefly on one of our past episodes, but a lot of people have been asking questions about it. So I think definitely go over it again.
1: Okay, so Both attorneys filed motions explaining why they shouldn't be held into contempt, and they are super interesting. So the two attorneys involved, they were partners at Tom's firm, but they weren't like equity partners, and there are different types of partnerships at firms, so they didn't really have control of the finances, and that's what they claim in their papers. So one partner is Griffin, and the other is Lyra, and I'll get to Lyra, but starting with Griffin, he says... It is Mr. Griffin's belief that the only persons that had authority to sign checks and initiate wire transfers from the Girardi Keys bank accounts was Tom Girardi and Chris Kamen, who was the bookkeeper of the firm. The specific legal inquiry is whether an individual employee of a law firm can be held responsible for the financial obligation of a law firm when a law firm fails to follow the command of the court. So. There, they're saying, like, if it's the firm that did something wrong, what authority is there to pick out an individual partner and hold them responsible for what went wrong? Um, They argue it wasn't a partnership. He says the corporate structure was unknown and it was likely a sole proprietorship. He says he drafted four settlement memos detailing how much money each victim was to get. He sent a memo to Tom saying that the funds needed to be wired to them. There were... Uh, memos where co-counsel was worried about the funds not being transferred it kind of seems like griffin was just a conduit for those memos november 2020 he says he made a memo to tom that says quote this could not be more serious and then he resigned in december on december 4th 2020 and that was before shit hit the fan Lyra, who is tom girardi's son-in-law This makes it very interesting. Tom Girardi's son-in-law, he similarly argues that he was just a salaried employee. He never received received any settlement money, so he was never involved in the transfer of those funds. He says when he received an inquiry regarding payment of the settlement from one of the clients that had been referred to Mr. Girardi, Mr. Lira, Lira questioned Mr. Girardi, who said the amounts would be paid and that Mr. Lira did not need to worry about it. So he actually went to Tom and said, Where is this money? And Tom was like, it's fine. Mr. Lira told Mr. Girardi that the funds must be paid immediately. There were similar exchanges with increasing intensity followed with the final confrontation on the day that Mr. Lira resigned and left the firm. While Mr. Lira could demand that Mr. Girardi pay the clients, he could not force Mr. Girardi to make the wire transfers. Girardi was the only one to approve any wire transfer, and Lira couldn't make it himself. He says he also copied the bookkeeper, the same guy, Chris Kamen, on emails to Tom saying that the people needed to be paid. So that was just so interesting to me that there were two employees that admit to knowing that something had gone down that was wrong and brought it to Tom's attention multiple times and the bookkeeper of the firm. I had surmised what the season was going on that like um, Erica had mentioned talking to the, the lawyers at the firm about how Tom's health was in decline, and she was like, I don't know what to do. Do they know? And I don't know why I surmised that it was one of these two attorneys that she spoke to at the firm, because it seems like they knew something was wrong. Um, who knows how close they were? Maybe she spoke to the son-in-law. I don't know.
0: But. Yeah, it seems really um, like there should be made-for-TV miniseries made out of this because the son-in-law worked there. There's all the stories about the victims, and we just don't know. Like, I'm really interested in the family dynamics. Like, are his children, do they talk to Erica? Do they dislike her? I mean, she said on their reunion that they do not speak, and I can see why.
1: Yeah, it's super interesting. And I think Lyra, in the filings, or maybe in something else after this motion I just talked about, um said that he doesn't he hasn't spoken to Tom since so caused a divide there I mean
0: one other thing to point out is that in a law firm if there is only one managing partner that has access to the records and has access to the, the trust accounts for what's paid out I mean it, what they're saying is true that they didn't have like you can't authorize something to come out from an account that you don't have authority over so I, I would I right. would believe that yeah yeah, so we'll see if the court finds
1: them them in contempt. That'll happen very soon in the next month. Hopefully it doesn't get pushed again because it's been a full year since Tom was found to be in contempt. But Lion Air, otherwise, there's nothing going on with Tom himself. That's the only thing that is going forward in the Lion Air case. The next thing I wanted to talk about was the law firm bankruptcy. And in our prior episodes, the law firm bankruptcy was, was kind of where everything was happening. The action was happening. We were getting, like, Ronald Richards tweeting and all that. And he's still doing that. But the personal bankruptcy is actually getting juicy now, too. So the firm bankruptcy, like the name suggests, is the law firm Gerardy keeses bankruptcy, Um, It's been underway since 2020. Uh, Ronald Richards was hired to investigate Erica's assets. And it's also the bankruptcy in which the trustee filed a lawsuit against Erica, which we'll get to. So since June, the following has happened. The court granted Ronald Richards 2004 motions for examination and production of documents for Erica's current landlord, divorce attorney, and account manager of the Pretty Mess, Inc. And depositions have occurred, but we haven't seen any of those transcripts. And I think that is to try and figure out how she's paying for this stuff and whether she's paying with it, paying them off with any money that she received from the law firm. There have been some disbursements made. Um, One specifically, Erica objected that... She objected because she claims that the firm property is community property. She said that she should get paid whatever is left after legitimate creditors are paid. Um, and it kind of seems like their strategy, which I'm not going to speak onto as, whether, as to whether or not it's right or not, but it seems like their strategy is to question the legitimacy of all creditors that are coming up out and saying they, they need payment from Tom um, and challenging the amounts that the trustee is deciding that they should get. It also seems to be the first time that she acknowledges the victims in a filing. She says, "Mr. Girard- Miss Girardi shares the trustee's interest in maximizing the value of the GK estate to pay in full all legitimate creditors, including victims of Girardi Keys. Given that if after payment of all legitimate debt claims, assets remain for equity, Miss Girardi would have a community property right to a portion of those equity assets. I thought that was interesting. I think it's, maybe lawfully correct she's trying
0: i mean i just having her attorneys when i read the pleadings that are written by her attorneys whether it's in the you know personal bankruptcy or it's in the jarardy keys bankruptcy they come across as very adversarial um it comes across as very much like i can hear erica in them And so I know Mm. that she is definitely from reading that you can see that she's definitely directing her counsel. A lot of times in a bankruptcy, like there are several things that you don't dispute that you owe. Like, you know, it's like, obviously, yes, we have to pay these people and these people and these people. And if you dispute everything that runs up the attorney's fees on them. So that isn't exactly helpful. But it seems very on brand for her to fight everything.
1: Yeah, I guess I just can't. It's. I guess you're right. It is wrong to fight everything. I think it's not morally incorrect to question some of the creditors, if that makes sense. Oh,
0: 100% agree. We have an adversarial legal system. That's how it works in the United States. You can't just file something and say, okay, this is what it is. You have to prove it. And so there mm-hmm. are things absolutely that's reasonable to challenge and say, this debt needs to be proven, you know, or is this amount reasonable or whatever? Is this actually secured? I get that. But I would say f- fighting everything seems unreasonable. And I haven't looked at it enough to see if she's fought everything, but she's fought a lot.
1: Okay. So then Erica previously filed a motion seeking to get Ronald Richards removed from the case for his outlandish post about her on social media and his YouTube interviews. Her motion was denied. She filed for reconsideration. That was also denied. In our last episode, she had just filed for reconsideration. So that's an update. It got denied. But she has now appealed it. But the appeal has not been heard yet. And it's not a guarantee that it will be heard. So for now, Ronald Richards continues on the case as the special counsel to investigate her assets. In our last episode about this, we discussed the auction that was going on of Tom's law firm assets, which was everything down to uh, lingerie and his desk, staples, um, just everything. I didn't get anything. I really wanted this like one portrait that he had where there was, I don't Whoever got it probably noticed this, but in the background of the portrait, like the painting, was another picture. And it was a scene of him and Erica on The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. So I'm really upset I didn't get it. I, like, forgot to set a timer or an alarm. So that made $276,000. No. Yeah. $276,000. Wait, two hundred and seventy. Why can't I speak right now? You're doing better than me. So (laughs) I don't know why, like, suddenly the number looked wrong. It's, yeah, $276,000 for creditors, which is a great amount of money for law firm trash. So the auction is done. Shortly after our last episode, Ronald Richards circulated a a letter and we posted this on our Instagram that he sent to Bravo and the production company of Beverly Hills to not delete any footage, even if unaired, because it's in connection with a litigation. But it was like kind of unclear which litigation he was talking about. It doesn't say. But that gives us some, some insight into the fact that he's demanding the footage that ended up on the editing floor. Um, I don't really remember this happening, but I have it in the document. I guess Ronald Richards threatened to depose Lisa Rinna for inconsistent statements on the show. <laughs> I just had to include that. I was like, OK,
0: fine. I think he threatened that on Twitter. Um, like, Yeah, OK. Yeah. And just quickly, for any young attorneys out there, so... Sessie and I have felt very uncomfy about Ronald Richards and his statements on social media. Obviously, the bankruptcy judge has said that they're fine. Um, And obviously, Erica, by going on, continuing to be on reality TV and continuing with her social media posts, put herself in that position. But there have been multiple attorneys who have gotten in trouble with their bar associations and with their state bar authorities for using social media and talking about an ongoing case. There's an attorney in Florida that got disbarred for calling a judge a witch. There is, um, (laughs) you know, there's multiple examples. So I don't want any younger attorneys out there to think that it's just carte blanche to use social media and use Ronald Richards as an example. This is a very rare circumstance that is seems to be like the bankruptcy judge is saying it's fine, especially because he's the adversarial attorney and he's using it to get information. But please, please do not take this as an example for a way to behave because you will probably get yourself
1: in trouble. Great advice.
0: Oh, something
1: else that has happened since the trustee filed a statement of accounting for the firm saying that Tom's firm owes around one hundred million dollars to creditors And that the firm accounting was a mess. She said, I think we've mentioned this in a prior episode, but this is still something that has happened. So I'll go into it again. She says that he had or the firm had 127 bank accounts. He racked up at least $40 million in debt with lenders in recent years. Over the past three years, the firm also saw its revenues drop off sharply. The firm generated $46 million in gross revenue in 2018. $31 million in 2019, and $12.6 million in 2020. So those same years, the documents show that Girardi-Keese made $419,000 in donations. This includes $75,000 to the Library of Congress, $8,000 to the State Bar of California, $4,000 to the Beverly Hills Bar Foundation, and more than $31,000 to a Catholic boys school in Los Angeles, among other donations. From that, we learn that Tom's law firm accounting was a frickin' mess, and they were donating portions of what they were bringing in left and right.
0: Except for the accounting of all of Erica's stuff, like we'll talk about later. We'll get to that. Yeah,
1: (laughs) we'll get to that. Yeah. So the trustee also filed 2004 motions seeking document productions from Tom's firm's various banks, and they were all granted. So some of those... How many did I say? 127 bank accounts will be producing documents. The trustee is really trying to get to the bottom of where this money is at and figure out this atrocious accounting. Bless the trustee having to deal with these numbers, given that I don't know how to properly say many of these numbers. So bless the trustee. The trustee also filed a motion seeking to employ a law firm as special counsel, so Similar role to Ronald Richards, but this time it's to investigate the litigation lenders that Tom's firm used. So I think we mentioned in like our first episode that Tom was taking out loans um, from these litigation lenders to fund his cases and kind of like Ponzi scheming in a way. Uh, He would get loans and then use that to repay settlement funds or portions of them and then get new cases. And it was kind of this just huge bad circle of bad money anyway so the trustee is trying to dig into these lenders and figure out why they were loaning Tom this money for years and years and years so part of the motion that I want to read it says continuing investigation has revealed that the debtor who is Tom's law firm was financed through use of three or more litigation lenders lenders which provided financing secured primarily by the fees that the firm was expected to earn in lawsuits Some of those lenders appear to have blanket liens, which is liens on all of the pending assets and pending cases of the firm, and other of the lenders only liens on the fees earned in specific cases. The trustee seeks to employ this law firm as special counsel to represent the trustee to assist with the investigation, evaluation, and provide recommendations concerning potential claims against the lenders. So now it's like the trustee is gearing up to maybe file a lawsuit. Against the lenders, depending on what she finds.
0: Yeah, I mean, it just seems a bit untoward that Tom had all this. I mean, we talked about the Arizona filing, which was the first one Erica admitted to the Arizona federal court. And there's all of these lenders that are continually like facilitating what appears to be this legal Ponzi scheme. And so it's like, are they somehow complicit in it? It appears that the trustee, at least at a bare minimum, wants to research whether or not that may be true. Mm-hmm. I mean, so that will get interesting. You can't get a loan for anything without approving that you have the actual assets. So, how is Tom continuing to get all of these massive million dollar loans when apparently he didn't have the assets for them? Right. And that's
1: exactly what. She needs to find out separately, but uh, along the same bullet point, creditors are kind of worried about the law firm's <laughs> hourly fees. And this is the firm that would be hired to investigate those lenders, which go up to $975 per hour. And they're worried that that's going to exhaust the state's funds, just thus diminishing what goes to creditors. And Kathy rue Gomez, who is um, the Rio Gomez victim's mother, who we've spoken about often, um, spoke to Law Three Six spoke to Law Three Sixty and said she was concerned that the case appeared to be generating more drama and attorneys fees than money for Girardi's victims. I thought that was super interesting, pointing out the drama. I'm like, who's that? Who's that geared towards? Um, but
0: yeah. I mean, she's taken, you know, the social platform as well. So, I mean, they were heavily featured on the Hulu documentary, which is good. That was great to actually hear and see the voices of the victims. And I think she's been on almost as many, like, YouTube things or whatever, done as many interviews as Ronald Richards. But I think she's correctly pointing out that she isn't getting paid by the hour for those things. And when there is drama What it does is it does cost money and nine hundred and seventy five dollars an hour is a lot. That's a lot. I know there's plenty Mm -hmm. of uh, lawyers that would happily charge less an hour to go through all of Erica's and the lender's stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
1: I'm sure of it. But that law firm has not been hired yet. So there's going to be a hearing about that this coming week. So I don't know, maybe they'll like come to an agreement to lower the fees or something that is not set in stone yet. So that was what is happening in the law firm bankruptcy. And and I mentioned earlier that the trustee in the law firm bankruptcy actually filed a lawsuit against Erica. Um, When we had recorded our deep dives, there was um, just the original complaint. But since we recorded the trustee filed an amended complaint that has um, a lot more claims and a lot more evidence in, in it against Erica. So do you want to talk about that, Angela?
0: Yeah. So I recommend everybody go back and listen to our Teresa and Joe Episodes, if you haven't listened to that, because Ceci did a great job of explaining how bankruptcy works, and then talked a lot about how they got themselves and Teresa and Joe Judice got themselves in trouble, really by filing for bankruptcy. And you know, if it if Teresa, I just want to say this at the beginning, if Teresa Judice couldn't play dumb and have it work for her, there's just no way Erica is going to be able to do that. So. The first amended complaint talks a lot about um, EJ Global and it also talks about um, uh, the Pretty Mess Inc. So, EJ Global is the um, legal entity, the business entity that Erica formed in 2008. And EJ Global was an LLC. Erica was the sole member, she was the sole managing member. And from um, 2008 on, EJ Global received quite a bit of money from Girardi Keys, And this is pointed out in detail. And one of the things that Ceci and I found to be incredibly fascinating in this amended complaint is that by all accounts, right, Sessie, like, Everything else is just like the accounting has been a mess. There's all these bank accounts. Mm -hmm. Things are written down in pencil. People were trying to figure out who was owed what and to where, and it's a mess. But whoever was doing the accounting for the funds that were used from Girardi Keys and paid to EJ Global apparently kept meticulous records of like every transfer is meticulous. And part of that may also be because she had, so Erica Jane, Erica Girardi, had a Girardi Keese law firm American Express card, according to the amended complaint. So this wasn't like a personal American Express. This was a law firm American Express with, with an Erica Girardi was authorized to use so just like if you own a business you can authorize people to have a card that they can do spending on um so I think we all heard Erica talk on the show the entire time she was on the show about how Tom funded uh Erica Jane like you remember that right Ceci yeah like Yeah, he was she was always saying, you know, the only reason I have this is because of Tom. Tom funds it like she never made any mention of, oh, yeah, Tom's just loaning me this money and I have to pay it back. Right. Like she made it sound like, oh, it's like a gift. Like Tom is funding this for me and it makes me so happy and he's helping me live my dream. And even when she was like talking about the divorce, I felt like she was saying, you know, I can't believe he didn't come see me in Chicago. Like this is, you know, I've taken the baton and I've run with it. And this is this is me accomplishing my dream with everything that you've funded. OK, well, there's a lot of stuff there and we, you know, don't give Erica much credibility. But one thing that appears to be true is that Girardi Keys was absolutely funding EJ Global, which is the company that Erica had for Erica Jane. Until she filed for divorce and then she created the Pretty Mess Inc. So I do believe, did we talk about in another episode um, piercing the corporate veil or did we just do that in an Instagram? Yeah. Okay. So yeah. we previously talked about piercing the corporate veil. And when you go through this first amended complaint, the trustee lays out all of the elements like he alleges, she alleges all of the elements for piercing the corporate Veil, which is like an alter ego entity. So typically with an LLC, um, the LLC has debts and liabilities, but the individual does not. And so the LLC is protection from having your, you know, personal finances and your personal property be at risk uh, via your business. So that's a lot, you know, literally it's like right in the name, limited liability company. But here, because there are several factors that actually do, according to what the trustee is alleging, there are several factors that are 100% online with how to determine like that this corporate veil, i.e. the LLC, should be pierced, saying like, Eric is just the alter ego of this company. This isn't a real LLC. This is basically the whole thing's a sham. And so the, the factors are laid out. And... Sessie, I need to take a break from talking for a minute. Can you take over for a second?
1: Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm happy to talk about some of the things that they said in the amended complaint, and I'll read them. So it says, the existence of EJ Global was merely an instrumentality to funnel a large-scale tax fraud from the debtor to benefit defendant Erica. And the debtor in all of this is Gerardi Keyes. So that's saying that they think EJ Global was just a funnel to commit tax fraud. No one else but defendant Erica benefited from the expenses described below. In response to the demand letter, so um, they sent a demand letter to Erica laying out how much she owed the law firm and saying, hey, repay us. Um, She took the ludicrous position that since she did not receive the payments directly from Girardi Keys, she's not liable. And if EJ Global is liable, it would not expand to her personally as she was just a member. The trustee alleges that all payments and monies received by Erica were via her American Express card issued to her personally with her own number and vendors that she picked by her and all payments were directed by her. So they're just saying that, like, all the money Gerardi Keyes was giving her was to pay her credit card and to pay the vendors. So, like, her makeup artist and stuff like that that she herself chose.
0: Right. So (laughs) this is... One of the things I kind of want to point out is that this looks—I'm going to read some of the—actually, Sessie, can you see on my notes, can you read some of the factors for determining alter ego liability for piercing the corporate veil? Um,
1: Sure. Did the individual defendants act in bad faith? Did the individuals contract with another with the intent to avoid performance by using a corporate entity as a shield against personal liability? Did the individuals divert assets from a corporation by or to a stockholder or other person or entity to the detriment of the creditors? Did the individuals and corporation use the same office or business location? Did they employ the same attorney? Did they fail to adequately capitalize the corporation? Um, Will there be an inequitable result if the court fails to pierce?
0: So those factors are from a California case that lays out what the court looks at when it's going to determine, is this a real entity that was set up as a real business? Um, therefore, you know, the LLC, the limited liability should apply. So basically the corporation shield should remain intact. And these are factors. You don't have to have all of them, but the court will look at all of these things and make answers to determine this question. So there are some factors, you know, there's several facts alleged in the amended complaint that would absolutely, if they're true, support piercing the corporate veil. Erica was the only person that she was the sole shareholder of the LLC. Uh the same attorneys did the tax returns that also like did everything for Erica's corporation as they did for Gerardy Keys. The um the like it was never properly funded. Like, you know, when you start an LLC, typically both people, you usually have more than one person in an LLC and the members will fund it. So you will like, okay, we're starting this business. We're each going to put in 50 grand to start this business, whatever, depending on like what the business is. Here, there's no evidence that Erica put anything into the business. It was just always according to the trustee and according to the records that we've seen, just funds being diverted from Girardi Keys. Now, apparently Erica did make some money uh, performing as Erica Jane, but that, it was according to the trustee, it was never profitable. So all of these things go into um, whether or not this is an actual LLC. Another one is, did they fail to maintain minutes or adequate corporate records? And it looks like Erica's almost admitted that basically saying, well, I don't know. They were doing it all for me. So some of her own statements are likely to be used against her. Um, So this piercing the corporate veil, alter ego liability for this corporation is uh, one way that she could be held personally, financially liable for all of these debts. Sessie, do you want to talk about the lottery payments?
1: The firm received attorney's fees for this case um, involving the California lottery, And instead of them going directly to the law firm, they were diverted to Erica and actually David Lira's wife. Yeah. The guy that we were talking about earlier. Yeah.
0: I mean, so that's what the trustee is saying. Erica responds and says, I never got any lottery payments. You have to prove that I got them. But it has like this was filed with the court a long time ago, like years ago, this diversion of lottery payments. And I'm. I'm. This is my opinion. I am not saying it's a fact. This may have had more to do with them not wanting to pay taxes. When I'm talking about Lira and, you know, Gerardi, not wanting to pay uh, income tax on the lottery payments. And so they diverted it to their wives because if it's an attorney's fee payment, then that goes in as income for your firm. So it may have had something mm-hmm. to do with that. I'm not saying it did one way or the other. I'm saying that's something to look at as to why they did that. That may not actually be Erica being shady. That could have been Tom being shady and not wanting to pay the taxes on it.
1: Yeah, I guess like going back to just the the like the credit card stuff, um, I thought it was interesting that they alleged that Erica signed all of her tax returns, her numerous numerous credit card slips. And that she was aware of the money she was spending on Jordy Keese's credit cards. Um, Richard sent her a letter demanding payment, like I mentioned before, of the $25 million she got from Jordy Keese. And that's $14 million in Amex charges and the rest payments directly to vendors. And we went over that vendor list on our Instagram when we first saw it. There were some interesting ones on there. Yeah.
0: Like, yeah, that Instagram post is talent still agents. up. Talent agents? Yeah. All kinds of yeah, all kinds of talent stuff.
1: agencies. Like, <laughs> it seemed like she was paying people to have her perform. And, like, to promote her, her EJ persona.
2: Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds.
1: Have you guys been on Quince's website recently? I shopped on there like three years ago for the first time and bought myself a bunch of cashmere sweaters. I lived in the black cashmere sweater, lived in it. And I hadn't shopped on there for a while because my cashmere sweaters lasted for a really long time. But I decided to go back on there and, oh my gosh, have they completely expanded everything that they offer. The workwear, they have washable silk. And I mean, it's so affordable. I also shared with you all that I'm recently engaged and I'm in the middle of wedding planning. So anytime I'm shopping, I'm thinking about wedding, 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 wedding. And they have everything I need for the wedding. I just booked my honeymoon. We're going to go to Southeast Asia. It's going to be hot there. And I've been looking for good linen pieces. Guess what? Quince has good linen pieces and they start at only $30. $30. Then I'm like, okay, we need to get our wedding bands. You know who has fine jewelry now? 14 karat gold quince. So I send the link to Avery and I'm like, you have to get your wedding band from here. It's affordable and it looks just like any other wedding band. I mean, it looks great. Another thing I'm doing, again, I have wedding on the brain. I want to look my best. So I'm like, okay, I really want cute little matching sets to go work out in. It's the only way I can get motivated. I have to like wear a cute little matching set. I've gotten really into Pilates and guess what? quince has the matching sets they look identical to matching sets i've already purchased from another sports brand they have the same thing and at a fraction of the cost i was able to get two tops and one pair of pants for the same price that i could only get one set at this other sportswear place i mean come on quince is just killing it if you've shopped there before it's time to go back on again they have just completely expanded the categories of goods that they have to offer They're not just all about cashmere sweaters anymore. They've got a ton of stuff and I highly recommend you go check it out. If you're ready to go try out Quince, go to quince.com slash docket to get free shipping and 365 day returns. That is q-u-i-n-c-e dot com slash docket to get free shipping and 365 day returns. That is An amazing guarantee on their goods. So go check it out. I highly recommend it, guys.
0: Yeah. So, okay. So one of the things the trustee alleges is in the amended complaint is that it's over $25 million in receivables. And receivables, also referred to as accounts receivable, are debts owed to a company by its customers for goods or services that have been delivered or used but not yet paid for. So, Whoever was keeping the books at Girardi Keys uh, for all of the money paid to Erica kept meticulous records. So for everything that went into EJ Global, everything that was paid out, and they kept it as a loan. And if it's a loan, that means that Erica has to pay it back. Because a loan is, obviously, we all know what a loan is. Here's money, but you have to pay it back. And apparently there is an interest rate on there as well. So on Erica's tax returns, which she signed, and which she admits to signing, and she even admitted in her book that she signed. Um, she says that, like, those amounts were costs that were incurred by EJ Global. But there's appears to be absolutely no records anywhere, and Erica hasn't even said, that, like, EJ Global actually incurred those costs. It was costs. I mean, they, she incurred the cost, but they were paid to her. I'm not making sense. Okay. Jorati Keys paid those costs on behalf of EJ Global. So, Mikey, her hair, the videos, the videographer, all of those things that made Erica Jane, Erica Jane. Jorati Keys was paying for those things. And Jorati Keys saying that this is a loan to Erica's company. On Erica's tax returns, she doesn't say it's a loan like she doesn't show it as income received by a loan or an amount received as a loan or an amount received as a gift she shows it on the tax returns for ej global as a cost so that cost then reduces her taxes you know ej global's taxes that they had to pay she also shows on like the one example of the tax return that we have that she made a slightly over a million dollars. I think this is for two thousand and eighteen. So EJ Global is bringing in like slightly over a million dollars, but then EJ Global has two point five million something in, um, you know, business expenses, and so she doesn't pay any taxes because the company didn't make any money. The company operated at a deficit, but then it also isn't explained like, okay, but you never paid this loan back, so. That's not good. Even if all of Gerardi Keyes' money was not diverted, like even if it was all appropriate, even if all of the money from Gerardi Keyes was, you know, he only kept the amounts he was legally entitled to keep and, you know, he, whatever, this would still look bad for Erica because it doesn't, you can't say something is an expense if you didn't actually pay that expense. So either she owes, right. if her tax returns are true, then it, well, it doesn't make any sense how her tax returns could be true. Like it's just like these numbers are not adding up, and the trustee is making good points in this complaint. Is what I'm saying.
1: Right, right. Like everyone is so focused on the like, did Erica know? Did Erica know? And I think most people, the question that they're asking is, did Erica know that? she was receiving money from settlements and like from plane crash victims and from, you know, just, you know, these innocent people. It doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. That's not the question now. Um, The question now and that the trustee is uncovering is, did Erica know that her entire lifestyle was being improperly funded by a law firm?
0: I mean yeah. she signed those tax returns. She knew where the money was she knew the money was coming from Gerardi Keys and she said over and over again, Tom is funding I owe all of this to Tom. Tom is funding Erica Jane. But the the other thing too is like this actually isn't that complicated. So if you own a business and let's say for the first three years of your business, you get a loan to fund like the overhead costs because your business isn't making money yet. Okay. You can't, like, if it's a loan, you have to show that you owe it back and you have to pay it back. Here's the other thing. Even if the company that loaned you the money says, you know what, we're going to forgive this debt and you don't have to pay it back. Then it counts as income on your federal tax return. Like it's income. So either way, she is going to owe taxes or she's going to owe the money back to Girardi Keyes. Like it's not from what the trustee is saying here in this amended complaint. And from what we can see from like her schedule C of her tax return, she is going to have to pay money either to the IRS or to Girardi Keyes. If, you know, I mean, this is what the trustee is alleging and the records match up so far from what we've seen with what the trustee is Mhm.
1: So it's huge. It's yeah. huge. This is, huge and it's tax fraud which is bad uh, alleged tax fraud yeah and which
0: is similar to the uh, Teresa and Joe I mean <laughs> Teresa and Joe uh, apparently like drove according to the court records and what they pled guilty to they just made up tax returns and gave those to the bankruptcy trustee yeah.
1: it was a little it was a little less uh, what's the word sophisticated uh, than yeah this, it was but. very
0: flagrant like Uh, We'll just make (laughs) some stuff up and put it in a document. And it turned out they had never filed tax returns for those years. So like that was definitely giving false information to the bankruptcy trustee. Here, it's kind of like Erica's in between a rock and a hard place. Now, I'm sure Erica didn't care where the money came from. She wanted to be Erica Jane. Her super rich, powerful husband is giving her the money. And maybe she didn't know that his law firm was saying, no, this is a loan to EJ Global. But on the tax returns, if you had another company pay your expense and you didn't pay that expense, it's not an expense and you can't get a tax write off for it. Like, yeah,
1: I don't know why. And I wanted to save our discussion of the reunion for later. But that reminds me of her comment that she made. Um, Like, well, why? What about the secretaries and stuff that were being paid from Gerardi, like why aren't they like why don't you go talk to them they did a job like, they did work yeah they like right <laughs> it's a that's called a salary because they're an employee that is a You're legitimate business expense
0: for Gerardi Keys. that is like you cannot have people show up at your job and work for a you know and then not pay them that's a legitimate business expense Erica's vanity project of being Erica Jane which never made any money like there's no evidence that she was ever profitable in any way like that is not a legitimate business expense for a law firm that doesn't that doesn't make sense so i one thing i want to say is that on your taxes if you are an entertainer um there you can't like so okay like newscasters trial attorneys we don't get to claim our makeup, our hair, our nails, our Botox, you know, like even stuff we wear to court, like we don't get to claim that on our taxes as a business expense. It's not allowed on your federal taxes. When you're an entertainer and you are doing like live performances, there are specific things that you can categorize as a business expense. I think it is probably likely that, You know, this line of what you're allowed to expense and what you're not allowed to expense was not necessarily followed by either Erica or EJ Global. Like, you can deduct the cost of certain qualified film and television productions. Like, so when she's doing her music, I don't know if a music video counts, but when you're doing certain film and television productions, you can deduct those costs. But just because you are on a reality show or you're a newscaster or you have a YouTube channel with, you know, half a million followers, there isn't really a provision in the federal tax code that says that you can deduct your eyelash extensions, your hair color, your makeup, stuff like that. So like... That's not okay.
1: Ugh, what a mess. I know. But it's so fun. It's a pretty mess and
0: it's fun to look through. It's, I mean, yeah, it's.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so next we should talk about the answer because Erica finally answered this complaint and put in her response. But before that, I think we should take a little break and listen to some words from a sponsor. So it's really important to maintain good habits, whether it be eating right, exercising, or even brushing your teeth. Sometimes it can be kind of annoying, though, to get the supplies you need to make those habits a reality. That's why we're excited to talk about Quip. Quip is the electric toothbrush loved by over 7 million mouths. Sessie, what's your favorite thing about Quip? My favorite thing about Quip is that it delivers. In addition to brush heads, Quip also delivers fresh floss, toothpaste, mouthwash, and gum refills every three months from $5. Shipping is free, so you can save money and skip the hustle and bustle of in-store shopping. What's your favorite thing?
0: My favorite thing about Quip is that it has a new
1: Bluetooth smart motor that connects with the free Quip app, so you can track your brushing, get tips and daily coaching, and earn
0: rewards for good habits, like brushing two minutes twice a day. And sometimes, when you've had a bad week, you need a reward just for brushing your teeth.
1: If you get to Quip.com right Right now, you'll get your first refill free. That's your first refill free at getquip.com slash bravo. Spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot slash bravo. Quip, the good habits company. Yeah, so we just talked about the amended complaint that has some juicy information in it. And then Erica answered the complaint. Um, and in that, she answered. <laughs> uh, Angela will talk about what specifically she said in it. But this that we had like set multiple reminders on our calendar for this. And this one kept getting pushed off, too. So finally, we have the answer. It came this week. So,
0: so in federal court, whether you're in bankruptcy court or, you know, you're in regular federal civil court when there is a petition or oh well, it's in federal court as a complaint when there's a complaint filed you have like a limited amount of time to file an answer. And here, like Ceci was saying, um, Erica got an extension. She finally filed her answer to the trustee's amended complaint. And all of the paragraphs are numbered. And when you answer a complaint, you have to go through number by number. And like either you would just simply admit that, you know, the allegations in paragraph two are accurate um, or you've denied like you know, give a narrative response. Um, Erica's denial is pretty combative. This is one of the things where I read it and I really felt like I could definitely see the client directing the attorneys as to the tone of the response. Um, I mean, Erica goes in, she doesn't, she claims she doesn't have, she didn't know about the lottery payments. Uh, She Erica, through her attorneys, is saying, "Oh, they're trying to shoot first and ask questions later." I mean, I'm not a bankruptcy attorney, neither is Ceci, Um, but in our study of real housewives, <laughs> we've had to learn a lot about bankruptcy. I actually attended a bankruptcy CLE this week um, on bankruptcy, like lawyering ethics. It was really interesting. Um, but the thing is, it's like it's your responsibility in a bankruptcy. To like know what assets you have, and she's basically saying, "Oh, well, they're claiming luxury items, but they didn't name them." And it almost looks like she's trying to do a standoff, where it's like, "You tell me what I think I you ha- what you think I have, and then I'll admit whether I have it or not." Like, like both sides are like trying not to reveal information yet. But that's a I feel like that's a reasonable thing on the trustee's part. It's not such a reasonable thing on. Erica's part it's like no you're gonna have to say like what luxury items you have and how you got them like that's how this works (laughs) I had in my notes that this is very adversarial on Erica's part Erica basically points her daggone doo-doo nail at the federal trustee and says you tell me what I have Um quote, the trustee has in her possession all of the books and records of Gerardy Keyes, and if a basis exists for the purported claims related to the luxury items, the trustee is obligated to plead facts that show the existence of a claim. Well, I mean, like, okay, I, I, we have an adversarial system, her attorneys are doing a great job, this maybe may not be the best tone however to take in this case, I don't know, what do you think?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I really don't know because I've never litigated one of these. I don't know if this is, like, a wise way to defend herself or not.
0: I mean, putting the words they're shooting first and asking questions later in an answer to a federal complaint is a little unnecessary. Um, But, like, it's entertaining to read. It's
1: also weird because it's not, like, a motion to dismiss or anything. It's an
0: answer. It's just an answer. It's just saying... Like, either admit this is true or not. Like, you don't have to make it, like, adversarial and complicated. You can wait and do that later in a, you know, (laughs) 12B6 motion or whatever. So Mm -hmm. um, the other thing is, like, Erica does admit that she was the sole owner of EJ Global. She admits that she's the sole owner of Pretty Mess Inc. Um, But she kind of had to admit that because that's what the Secretary of State records say. Um, Erica does, in her answer, admit that she filed her, you know, income on the EJ Global tax returns. But she tries to, like, you know, be arm's length from it. And she says she relied on attorneys and people that were far more knowledgeable than her to tell her that those tax returns were the appropriate thing. Um, That doesn't really help you with tax returns just so people know like when you sign your federal tax returns you're saying this is true on there and it's your duty to ask questions and say okay well if i show if i got this money from gerardi keys of over 2.5 million dollars to pay for my ej global expenses then you're telling me it's fine to put this down here as an expense even if my company didn't pay it back like it's your job to ask those questions yeah when you're signing a federal tax return. Right. So in her answer, she really does go out of her way to try to say, oh, well, the attorneys told me to do it, and I only have a 12th grade education. I mean, <laughs> you can't play smart and dumb at the same time. I think that's what Bethany said, and that's you can't do both. If it didn't work for Teresa, it's not going to work for Erica, who comes across as much more worldly and intelligent than Teresa you know, at least that's how she portrays herself.
1: Well, yeah, no, she said she could pass the bar. So I'd
0: like to watch her try.
1: <laughs> Same.
0: <laughs> I'm a little <laughs> irritated every time I hear her say that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. All right. Anything else about the trustee v. Erica lawsuit, or should we move on to the personal bankruptcy?
0: I say let's move on to the personal bankruptcy. I I hope I did a good job explaining like the tax issues, because those are, I want to be clear that like, that doesn't have anything to do with where the money came from, whether it came from Mm -mm. victims or not. That's just bad. Right. Uh, That's bad. But yeah. All right. Yeah. Let's get into the personal bankruptcy. Yeah.
1: So um, after being kind of quieter relative to the law firm bankruptcy, the personal bankruptcy is finally heating up. We have some interesting stuff going on in here. So first, there was a motion for a 2004 examination of Robert Girardi, who is Tom Girardi's brother, who is also Tom Girard- Girardi's conservator, for examination and to produce documents that was granted. Not sure what the documents requested were or what like, was said in examination, but that has happened. Tom's La La Quinta House sold for $1.25 million. $730,000 will go to repay creditors. The Rio Gomez family is going to be receiving $584,000 of it. The Pasadena House is still for sale. It was originally on sale for $13 million. It has since been reduced to $8.9 million. Still on the market if anyone wants to go buy it. Edelson... I'm going to pause and remind you who Edelson is. So Edelson is the law firm, the lawyer who split fees with Tom to represent the victims in the airplane crash case, the Lion Air case. Also the one that rose a red flag to the judge saying, hey, something is going on here. Also the one who filed his own lawsuit against Tom and Erica to get his money. So he... Requested that the judge in the bankruptcy lift the stay, in other words, unpause the lawsuit he filed against Tom, Erica, and EJ Global. Because, as a reminder, all the other lawsuits were paused as the bankruptcies were underway and getting sorted and whatnot. He's saying, Hey, because mine is against Erica, in part against Erica, can we unpause it and can I continue going against Erica? The trustee. In the law firm bankruptcy, so we're talking about the personal bankruptcy, the trustee in the law firm bankruptcy filed um, an opposition motion saying that um, anything against Erica should stay within the bankruptcy and that progress is really being made in the bankruptcies. There's no use in uh, unpausing it and then having two simultaneous investigations going on. It just doesn't make sense. Erica also this week opposed the motion claiming that the entire Edelson litigation is based on unethical conduct. She totally flipped Edelson's motion on Edelson. She said that Edelson is actually the Edelson action is premised on illegal, unethical and unenforceable fee sharing agreements between Edelson and Girardi Keys. She states that the act in the action, Edelson is trying to get attorney's fees based on fee splitting with Girardi Keys. If you remember when we talked about this, I think very beginning, we talked about how there were a lot of situations in which Tom would get um, clients through referrals and he would like split the fees with the other law firms or with the attorney um, and whatnot. So that is the arrangement that they had here. Erica is arguing that she claims it's unethical because there was no client consent to the fee-splitting arrangement between Edelson and Girardi-Keys. She claims this because, based off the exhibit submitted, it was two letters between the firms agreeing to the fee split, but there has been nothing introduced according to her motion to suggest that the clients consented to the arrangement. Um, so I think in the spirit of Erica being overzealous. <laughs> Um, in an adversarial. Uh, This is just another one of those instances.
0: I mean, the fact that Erica is pointing a finger at Edelson saying, oh, you didn't do something right with the contingency fee is kind of ridiculous because the whole reason all of this is happening is because Tom commingled funds that he got out of contingency fees. So it's like OK, well, it's, it's almost like the the real housewives tactic of, well, yeah, I said terrible things, but she said terrible things, too. It's like two rights don't make a wrong. That's not going to hold up in court. Like you can't be like, well, mm-hmm. he murdered somebody. So I just murdered somebody, too. That's not how that works. However, you do have to have appropriate. In almost every state, in almost every jurisdiction, contingency fees are taken very seriously by the state bar, by the boards of professional responsibility. So when I had my own firm and I represent a plaintiff's, I would frequently partner with larger firms that had more resources. And this was great for my clients. It was great for the larger firms. But you have a fee sharing agreement and it had to be signed by the client and it had to outline exactly which firm would be getting how much money and the client had to see that and consent to it i find it unlikely that edelson who you know has handled lots of mass torts that edelson didn't have his clients sign a fee sharing agreement i find that unlikely um and they didn't like attach any as far as i know of any proof that that wasn't done they just alleged that it wasn't done or that they haven't seen proof of it is that right
1: yeah right yeah
0: Right. That's correct.
1: Um, I guess, like, even if it was incorrectly done, it doesn't make the bankruptcy go away. It doesn't make the, like, allegations against Tom go away. It doesn't absolve him of the fact that he didn't pay his, those clients their settlement funds. So,
0: yeah, I mean, and that'll be easy for Edelson to show one way or the other. It's like, all you all you have to do is submit those, like, the agreements to the judge for, like, an in-camera inspection or whatever. So, yeah, I agree, Ceci. It's like, all right, well, you could have just said that you, you know, object to this being lifted. You didn't have to, like, try to point all of these fingers at Edelson. But she obviously has an issue with him. And, you know, I guess people are learning more about how contingency free agreements work. So that's good.
1: All right. And then moving on. This is the big one, like huge. I I don't really think people are even talking about this. And this is like the biggest filing in the bankruptcies that we've seen, like massive, like ringing the alarms. This is why you should be listening to this episode. Like, I feel like we should even do a post about it. This is huge. (sighs) The trustee in the personal bankruptcy filed an adversary action against Tom. Okay. Against Tom Girardi has filed something. Like Angela said, go back and listen to our Teresa and Joe episode because this is the same. Okay. This is the same. This is like we are getting close to liability. I feel like. I feel like we are getting close to something. So... The trustee filed something against Tom stating that the discharge of Tom's debts should be denied for various reasons. And this is exactly what happened with Teresa and Joe. Teresa and Joe's situation, the trustee there was like the debts, there should be a denial of discharge because they didn't put everything in their financial statements that was supposed to be there, like their cars and certain jewelry and even properties. They like under valued or under filled out or you know they left stuff off okay here here is what is happening here okay tom around march 2020 provided his financial statement to one or more lenders so those litigation lenders that we talked about in the firm bankruptcy they're popping up under penalty of perjury according to the statement he owned real properties totaling 89 million dollars had cash on hands of $116 million, securities totaling $44 million, and household, household items, including jewelry, worth $12 million. This is how much he told the lenders he had. I can't add. That is like millions and millions and millions, hundreds of millions of dollars. Let's say $300 million, $300 million in assets that Tom says he personally had. To the the lenders. The trustee claims that he thoroughly investigated Tom's financial affairs and many of the items listed in the financial statement cannot be found or located. The trustee thus believes that Tom, with an intent to hinder, delay, or defraud, has transferred, removed, destroyed, concealed, or permitted someone to do all that, transfer, remove, whatever, within one year before the bankruptcy began. So what the trustee is saying, I went through all his stuff. I went through everything. I went through his assets. I went through his papers. I went through everything. I can't find this stuff that he put in his financial statement. I can't find the records. He thinks that Tom fraudulently withheld records from the trustee, uh, claims Tom has failed to satisfactorily explain any loss of assets and that Tom failed to failed to comply with filing with oh God, and that Tom failed to comply with the filing requirements. So this is huge. This is huge. What are your thoughts?
0: I mean, this is very similar to what we looked at with Teresa and Joe Judice. I mean, obviously Tom is quite a bit more sophisticated than Teresa and Joe. But this is the first filing, besides the adversary complaint against Erica, the amended one, with the tax fraud charges, where we're finally starting to see, okay, here's where we're, you know, we're not just, like, this is bad. We're saying either you were lying then or you're lying now, and no matter what, you cannot lie to the federal government. Like, you just can't do it. So what they're going to, I mean— with filing this, now they're going to like have to have somebody say, okay, for example, the the lenders, they're going to say, okay, well, what proof did Tom show you that he had all of these things? Like, and wherever those things were obtained from, whatever's in that statement, we don't have the whole thing. We just have what they say about it. But they're going to go down methodically one by one and be like, okay, well, was this, you know, one of these assets? This is probably also where the video from the show is going to come in over the years because if those things are listed on like, okay, yeah, I'm telling these lenders I have this Cartier ring worth all of this money or, you know, this jewelry, like are all of those scenes where Erica is like, you know, displaying her jewelry. There's, there's videos where Erica's interviewed talking about her favorite pieces of jewelry where she's showing off the closet, all of that. Like, if those are some of the items that are listed, but then they haven't been disclosed as assets in this, that's a big problem.
1: Right. And I misspoke earlier. Earlier I said that it was the the lenders that might be similar to the law firm bankruptcy, and I don't know that for sure, because that was, like, the law firm lenders. This is obviously in his personal capacity, so maybe they are, like, the same loan providers. Maybe they aren't. I don't know. Well, I mean, could it be... They're saying they can't find records of this stuff at all. They can't find it in documents. They can't find the properties to back it up. I mean, maybe it's with Erica. I'm
0: surprised they haven't said that. They haven't said that yet. Like right now, they're just saying, Tom, you swore under penalty of perjury to these lenders that you had this list of assets. However you know, after the involuntary bankruptcy petition was filed, we can find no evidence of these assets. So right now it looks like they're believing that Tom had these assets and that, but now they can't find them anywhere. So, but we don't know one way or the other. Like, did Tom lie to the lenders or not? I mean, that's what it looked like to me. I was like, oh, he probably just lied to the lenders to get paid. Mm -hmm. But then if there's some other like record or something of him having these assets and they can't find it now. I mean, you would think when you go to lenders for millions of dollars that you're going to have to show proof that you have that stuff. I mean, a normal person can't even buy a house without 25 percent down and proof that you have whatever assets you have and that you're stable in your job. So,
1: yeah, well, it seems like in both bankruptcies, the lenders are now paying playing a really big role. Like we mentioned in the firm one, they're investigating them. And now mentioning here, they're not investigating them in the personal one, but they are playing a big role in what is being alleged against Tom. So,
0: so wait, did you get a sense of um, when you were reading this, did you get a sense of where it says Tom, like, gave testimony or spoke under perjury to the lenders? Like, what, what was that in? Like, what, why was there, like... It doesn't say. Yeah.
1: Thanks. It just says in March 10th, 2020, he provided his financial statement to one or more lenders under penalty of perjury. That's all it says. It This motion was or the complaint was only four pages. Okay. It's very not detailed. Um, but it's one that we will be following very closely because this is huge. Yeah, absolutely. This is massive. And I cannot believe like there aren't like alarm bells and radar line and like whatnot about this. Just huge. So we're nearing the end. I wanted to talk about two more things, which is Tom and the Bar Association, and then some case settlements that we learned about since our last uh, Tom Gerardy episode. So first, the Bar, because of what Tom did, uh, has agreed to do random audits. And it says that what went wrong was a mishandling of client trust accounts, Um, So they're kind of changing the way that they operate and do audits and whatnot because of the stuff with Tom. Tom was also finally disbarred, I think, um, through California federal court. Is that right? That's where it happened. It wasn't through the Bar Association and it wasn't through.
0: It was federal court first, but then the state court finally did it. Oh, okay. I didn't realize they finally did
1: it because I remember they put it on pause because he was in a conservatorship. Um, but good to know he is officially disbarred. He entered into a facility. Wow. It's been that long since we we yeah. <laughs> talked about him. He's in a facility. Um, and then recently, again, this past week, so much has happened in the past, like, two weeks. So the bar was called out by law 360 because the prosecutor that was overseeing an investigation of Durardi, like in connection with the bar, had been working aside David Lira, all along, And if you don't remember who David Lira is earlier in this episode, in this episode, I mentioned he there's a, going to be a finding as to whether or not he should be held in contempt for all the stuff with the settlement funds in the Lion Air case. This guy who's supposed to be prosecuting Tom and investigating Tom right now has been working alongside David Lira this whole time. Uh, the bar was not aware of. And he resigned recently. And this is all because of investigation that Law 360 did. Crazy. It's amazing. 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 Law 360 is excellent. Unfortunately, like, it requires a membership. So the average reader probably doesn't want to jump on and read it. But I, if you like what we're doing, Law 360 is a great supplement for our podcast. Yeah, they do They're great researchers. They do
0: excellent reporting. The Los Angeles Times has been doing amazing reporting. I just want to say that, like, if someone had asked me... Two years ago, to pick which state bar authority was more trustworthy between New Jersey or California, I probably would have picked California. <laughs> but now I know it's like New Jersey is like doing an excellent job. So good job, New Jersey. <laughs> Finally, I want to touch on the fact
1: that um, a lot of Tom's cases. Were kind of farmed out to other law firms to continue they're not like it's not like his clients were left hanging they have been given to other clients and he had cases that were still underway when he was put into bankruptcy and when all of this happened Um, and one of the cases that his firm was overseeing has attorney's fee has attorney's fees coming in soon that could total well the settlement could total over 1.8 billion dollars of which girardi Keys law firm, would get 45% of the fees, and that could result in tens of millions of dollars for the creditors.
0: Right. So girardi Keys doesn't have, I think they have like 8,000 plaintiffs. They don't have all of them, so it wouldn't be all of that. Because I looked at that because I was like, oh, man, all of those attorney's fees, is Erica going to like, you know, are they going to pay off everything and then she's going to walk away? It doesn't look like that. There's like 8,000 plaintiffs or something that girardi Keys. Has. And then they've worked out the deal with that is
1: Got it. OK, yeah. So there is a potential for tens of millions of dollars to go to the firm's creditors from this settlement of this case that is still out there. There's also another one. There was a 2017 mass shooting um, at the root. Oh, the Las Vegas shooting. Yeah. So the law firm that that's still outstanding. So he could m- maybe get fees from that. Litigation, and then there's another, the National Football League concussion litigation, in which Girardi Keys will receive 25% of the fees for its cases. So there's still like cases out there that could bring in money for the law firm's estate. That doesn't mean that they're totally off the hook right now. Of course, like the bankruptcy is still proceeding, but this perhaps, depending on how much money they're bringing in, like.
0: I mean, Maybe that was the probably for the law firm will be plan all along to have the Ponzi scheme keep going. So,
1: yeah. So could be done soon. Who knows? Who knows? But yeah, this stuff is exciting. Um, and we have so many like filings, like all these juicy filings that are coming through and now more dockets to keep our eyes on. But yeah, I think we should end it there. And then next week we'll talk about the reunion, um, get to more questions. Hopefully this answered a lot of the questions we got. Um, Yeah, we're going to
0: go through, I'm going to categorize all the questions we got. By the time we record again, I'll actually have a voice, um, So (laughs) hopefully, so I won't sound like this. And we are going to go through the statements Erica made at the reunion, some of them, and talk about what potential implications those could have and whatnot. So we were going to try to record more today, but I cannot. I can't. I just can't. (laughs) I'm sorry, guys.
1: All right. But yeah, as always, thank you for listening. The Bravo Docket is part of the ACAST Creator Network.